Before we begin this episode, make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening so you don't miss out on new episodes. I'm TJ, and today we have with us star of award-winning biopic Heart Baby and the upcoming season three of True Detective, Sean Paul and Young. Sean also produced Heart Baby alongside director and writer Angela Shelton. Heart Baby is based off the true story of unbeaten prison boxer George Lee Martin. It's one of the most heartbreaking biopics and love stories you've seen in 2018. True Detective, as most people will be aware, is an anthology detective series returning in 2019. Today we'll be primarily focusing on Heart Baby ahead of its release. Welcome, Sean, and thank you for giving up your time to chat with us today. Oh my gosh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for even talking to me. <laughs> I'm really just grateful to have an audience, so thank you. Absolutely welcome. Firstly, let's answer the question a lot of people want to know the answer to before we dive deeper into this film. There's been a lot of stigma and opinion about casting on transgender actor in a transgender character's role in Hollywood recently. And for context for our listeners, Sean actually plays a transgender person in the film Heart Baby. Why did you accept this role despite this, all the stigma in Hollywood? And did you talk to members of the LGBTQIA community, particularly transgender members of the community, prior to accepting it? Um, I, yes, 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 and yes. So um, when it came to the casting of this project, uh, initially I was approached just as a producer by my uh, colleague, Angela Shelton, and when we started the process, we knew that finding a trans actress to play the role of Crystal was going to be of the utmost importance for us, just because we knew, I knew specifically how uh, reactive our community is um, and how important it is to have accurate representation. Um, that's why we hired a really prominent and amazing casting director known as John Jackson. He searched the entire country looking for a trans actress, the United States. Um, and for a month, he looked and looked and looked. He went to all the big agencies. He, he went onto the local boards, everything all over. And we had 10 actresses submitted. Of those 10, eight were African-American, uh, which didn't, don't, doesn't remotely match who Crystal was in real life. She was a blonde white southern evangelical christian so um as much as we would have loved to have cast an actor of diversity it, it just wasn't in the cards for the for the story um that being said the two actresses that we did have left um one sort of met the specs but she didn't have crystal's essence um she couldn't pull off all of the the acting required for the role so we found ourselves backed into a corner and we didn't quite know what to do. And Angela said, well, how about you do a makeup test? Cause you could totally pull this off. I've seen what you've done as an actor before and I think you could do this. And I was like, Oh, I don't know about this shit. Cause this, this is like skirting into real tricky territory here. And she's like, just please just, just do it. So did a makeup test, sent a photo to doc, uh, who was in prison with Crystal and knew Crystal for many, many years. And he, first thing he, he said was, how did you know she looked like that? Like, he looks like her. And, um, you know, for me, it was like a moment I was like, he's full of it. Like, that can't be possible because there's no photos of her. 
right? There's only the memories of these people who were in prison with her. Um, he was crying. He was like totally into it. And Angela was like, you have to play this part. And I, I was like, I, I have to think about this because I, I have a responsibility and the pressure and like, I knew that it would be like a political campaign really, because it's like in order to, to respect and honor our brothers and sisters in the trans community, you, you have to live that. You have to know that you can't just, you know, play at that. Yeah. Um, so after a lot of booze <laughs> and a lot of like meditating and being down, said, okay, I'll do it. Um, that I live as a trans woman before and during production. Angela's like, uh, okay. And that was when I said, I'm going to need all the support I can from production. I'm going to need um, coaches. I'm going to need everything. And the first place I started after, you know, it all started to come together was I started with interviewing my trans friends that I had in Los Angeles. And I asked their permission because I was so terrified <laughs> that um, I would offend my friends. So, sorry, I get really emotional talking about it. And, um, you know, across the board, people were like, you're doing the right thing because we need our story told. We need our to be this actor playing this part like you you want to do it right and so as the process began and i had had the beginning approvals of the people who were close to me in my circle um that was when i, I delved and very deep in a very dark twisted rabbit hole <laughs> of the trans experience so uh, that was a big rambly whatever, but <laughs> I, when I get talking about this, I, I just get emotional and I can't stop myself. So That actually leads to one of the next questions I've got, which is how you got into character and what was it like? Because I only know a bit from what your publicist has told me, which is that you deal with a lot of hate that the trans <sighs> community sadly has to deal with and abuse of a daily basis, which should never happen. No, no, it shouldn't. And it's, we are, it's 2018 and we are in a time and place where I would like to think that we have evolved past our limited belief systems of how we express as human beings, how we identify, but, um, that's not the case. And for me being a cisgender man, I, I knew that in order to fully embody Crystal and to let her have space I had to commit across the board with everything. So I started with uh, my hair and my nails. I grew those for six months. And that in itself opened me up to a whole world of discrimination right off the bat. Because after even just a couple weeks, you know, for a man to be sporting longer fingernails and to be, you know, heading down just that road, people were like, are you... Is everything okay? Like, is something going on with you? Because you're not really, it doesn't look like you're taking care of yourself. And this was like friends who I didn't want to tell people what I was doing because I wanted to really um, keep it to myself. And I was also very ashamed, to be honest with you, because I didn't think I had a right to do it. And so I was trying to, um, 
avoid confrontation. So as time passed um, and my nails kept growing longer and longer, I started working with the famous acting coach, Larry Moss. And Larry Moss uh, worked with Hilary Swank for Boys Don't Cry. Uh, he worked another trans film. Um, he worked with her for both of her Academy Awards, as well as Leonardo DiCaprio, um, Jim Carrey. And so when I started working with Larry, you know, the first thing that we, we tackled was finding Crystal's voice. I was practicing female vocalization techniques um, two hours a day, every day. I was feminizing my voice with a program that many trans women use. Uh, that started to open me up emotionally and I started to naturally shift in how I was expressing and showing up with just my friends. And, uh, it was interesting. I, everything was kind of subtle until I went to New Orleans. And when I went to New Orleans, sorry, before that, I (laughs) learned how to pageant walk. Um, and did etiquette classes with former Miss New York. I went back to my alma mater and did all sorts of walking techniques and body movement techniques just to it really embody how I thought a woman would, would move. Um, and when I got to New Orleans and I started getting the eyelash extensions, the hair extensions, I cosmetic, cosmetically shifted my face. I had procedures done to feminize my face. Um, because Crystal had been described to me as you couldn't tell. She was fully passing and she like literally when she walked into prison, the guys were like, there's a woman in here. And so I, I just, I did everything I could. Um, and like I said, as a, as the process continued, I, uh, I started experiencing because you could tell that I was trans, right? Like, because my hair and the nails and how my face had feminized, I I was starting to lose weight. I lost close to 30 pounds before the film. And I was very frail, very dainty. I was really moving and, and, and speaking like her, um, when I go to the gym, people would get off the treadmill next to me and go across the room. Uh, I was terrified going into the men's locker room. I didn't feel like I belonged there. And I would have people move their lockers, you know. I would hide in a bathroom stall because I was like, I don't know if some guy's going to, like, freak out. And it showed me very quickly, like, like, for those who are just starting to come out and fully embrace who they really are, you know, that is such a treacherous road because you start to get work discrimination, uh, harassment on the street. Your basic day-to-day functions are hindered. At the grocery store in New Orleans, and I was living in the French Quarter by myself, like, I would constantly have people who were at the cashier who would just stare at me because they didn't know what to do with me. Um, 
when I, just before we started filming, we did a final makeup test. And uh, when I walked out of the trailer, I was walking across this parking lot going to where they had the boxing ring set up. And I was going to, you know, move around and they were going to see, like I said, test the makeup. I stepped out of the trailer and I got catcalled by my own crew. And uh, they didn't recognize me, right? And because I was passing, they just thought I was this beautiful Southern Belle who, you know, was just on set or whatever. And this is pre-Me Too. So, like, this is when, you know, this is pretty rampant. And they just thought they could innocently have a good time with me. And I was like, fuck. I have, I'm in an even deeper world that I have no concept of. And growing up, I, I, I'm a gay man, a very proud member of our community. And I grew up very ashamed of anything that was feminine. Because it got me beat up. It got me put into a hospital. It got me into a lot of trouble. So I fought against myself my entire life. And I created a fake version of myself to survive. So you can imagine when I started having to embrace that part and live as Crystal. I was really at war with myself. Um, and when I got catcalled by, by those guys, it struck me so deeply to my core that it's not just trans women, it's all women who experience this tilted world, right? And we as men, we don't think anything about it. We don't, because the world is tilted towards a privileged white male experience. And if you don't happen to be white, it's still tilted towards a male experience, an alpha male experience. That's what's celebrated. A manly man, we're seeing it in Marvel movies. It's like these buff, huge guys. And that's like this unrealistic idea of what it means to be masculine, whatever the fuck that means. And anything that doesn't match that is either inadequate or is um, weak. And so <laughs> I go to set, right? And I'm objectified instantaneous. Like, it was instant. Innocently, but it was objectified. Wow, look how gorgeous you are. Look at your legs. Oh, my God, you're hot. Like, And this was just, like, something that I'm like, I know they didn't mean anything by it. But I was like, there's so much more that goes into this, right? So, Angela's like, uh, I would love it if you if we went out and we, we had dinner with Gabenga and Jackson, who were playing the two leads, playing Doc and George. I hadn't met them yet. They didn't know anything about me, but they knew that I was living as a trans woman and that I was fully committing to this. I reluctantly agreed. I had no idea what I was getting myself into because, um, you know, I was passing. I was feeling myself. I started to gain a little confidence around the situation. And I was like, oh, you know, but I was still terrified that someone would discover the truth and react negatively. Um, we get to this restaurant, very, very fancy restaurant. 
in New Orleans, and uh, we walk in, and it was, I describe say, the Red Seas had parted, right? Because all the energy and attention that was thrown at me, I had never experienced before. And it was by men and women. And in my mind, I'm like, oh shit, they're clocking me. They know. They know that I'm, I'm trans, right? And then I started to realize, no, 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 they, they, they just think I'm this beautiful woman. And I started getting little snide comments from, from guys at the bar. Wow, you're gorgeous. How are you doing tonight? You know, and it started to get more insidious and women started to get a little judgmental and a little like abrasive. And I was like, okay, this is, this is a trip. I'm standing there talking to my crew. Um, Jackson and Bangor weren't there yet. And, and I'm like, <laughs> that can't be happening. Like maybe I just bumped into somebody or whatever. I turn around and there is this very large, good old boy standing there looking at me smiling and he's drunk. And I'm like, oh shit, he's going to see my Adam's apple. He's going to like, he's going to cock me and this is going to, this is going to get really dangerous. Um, and he just kept smiling at me and I was like, no, he's, he's fully buying this image of a, of a, of a woman. I got really nervous and uh, I moved to another side of the bar and we eventually our table came up. I sat down with Jackson and Banga and you could tell that they were just completely uncomfortable. They had no idea what to do, which is the case with many trans people. Like we don't think about how difficult it is going out and just having a meal, right? And I had never experienced being judged just based off my appearance and being objectified like that and degraded like that. And it got me really thinking. I'm like, God, the, the bravery that it takes just to go outside every day as how you identify. Um, I got so nervous and so filled with anxiety that I had to leave the table and I was like, I have to go to the bathroom and Angela escorted me and I went into the women's restroom and I was, I was shitting bricks <laughs> because I was like, Oh God, somebody's going to clock me in the bathroom. They're going to scream. They're going to be upset and the management's going to come and who knows what's going to happen. And I was having a panic attack and I get in there and it was the exact opposite. These women were like, totally like, there was community in there. And, you know, I'm sure you can agree with me on this. Men don't converse in the bathroom. We just don't converse in the bathroom. We don't make eye contact, barely. Mm. It's like, if you make eye contact, you are being sexual. You're yeah. being gay, right? And so that there's this silence and it's very clinical and we you know, but women are the opposite. They are like talking and gossiping and sharing makeup. They're peeing with the doors open. And women started asking me questions. And I, I was very quiet and meek as a mouse answering because I just, I didn't want there to be any trouble. And it really 
really dawned on me. I was like, this, this experience is not, it's not as simple as just living as a trans woman. Like it's, it comes with the unraveling of so many of privileges that I had grown accustomed to. Dinner ends and I was offered a ride home. I said, no, 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 I'll take an Uber. It's fine. I step outside and there are two drunk men. They say to me, hey, sweetheart, you're looking good. Are you looking for company tonight? And, I, and I'm not, <laughs> there was nothing overtly sexual about how I was dressed, right? And I said, no, I, I'm busy. Um, and I started to walk down the street. Instantly, it was like you could feel the shift. They're like, fuck you, you fucking bitch. Like, what's your fucking problem? We're just trying to be nice. We're just trying to hang out with you. What's your fu-? And they start following me. And I'm like, fuck. Like, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen right now. I'm going to, I'm alone. And I was so scared. Yeah, I was so, so scared. And thank God, thank God my Uber showed up because I was like, if they find out that I'm quote unquote a man dressed as a woman, like, I don't know. And that was when I were to go out in public and do anything, I had to find some way of hiding Crystal because the danger factor was too intense. I couldn't do it all the time, obviously, just because of coming off upset and whatever. Like, it was just impossible. Um, But I created a whole other persona of this androgynous rock star so that I could just walk down the street. And then people were like, you know, I'd wear this skull cap and I'd wear gloves over my, my fingernails. And, you know, you could still see my eyelashes and, like, which. I just looked very feminine. My skin texture had changed because of the skin treatments and like all this stuff. But people were like, Hey, Axel Rose, what's up, man? Like people were like super, but they weren't okay. If I was just crystal, they were okay. If I was crystal fully done. So there was this real mind fuck going on. And as it continued, and we were in the middle of production. Um, I started to experience really deep depression, um, anxiety, and I turned to substance abuse because I couldn't handle what I was experiencing every day. And that got me thinking, I'm like, <laughs> well, this is a trans experience. You literally are feeling everything that I'm sure my brothers and sisters experience every day. And you're trying to escape. You're trying to numb. You're trying to not be in your body. It got to the point where I was so ashamed of my genitalia. (laughs) Like I couldn't look at Sean's penis because it represented everything that was dangerous. Everything that was wrong. I couldn't 
I started sitting down to pee because I didn't want to look at it. I didn't want to see it. And, you know, you get to set and the only place that I was safe was in the makeup and hair trailer with those girls who were seeing what I was going through. And I don't think anybody will ever quite understand how hard it is for a trans person until they walk in their shoes. I sure as hell didn't know. I, I thought, oh, it can't be that bad. So, that's a little bit of how I got <laughs> into the role. So there was no acting anymore. <laughs> it was, uh, it was a very, very interesting experience. And then on top of that, Crystal, right? The character, the person who lived in real life was a devout evangelical Christian. So here's this person who boldly is like, I am a child of God. I was born to be a woman. I am a woman. Like, and was living in the confines of a men's prison. Expressing and moving and being her authentic self, without any sort of fear. And here I am, Sean the actor, just completely consumed in fear. So I had to then drum up this energy of just complete and utter fuck everyone. Because that was the only way that I could walk into a scene and not get consumed. And some people, you know, were like, wow, Sean's really intense, or Crystal is really intense. And I was like, you know, fuck yourself. You have no idea what I'm dealing with. You have no idea what is being asked of me right now. And on top of that, I'm on, I was getting down to 200 calories a day. For, so I had a nutritionist, thank God. I had lots of people in my corner. But uh, yeah, I went, I went <laughs> like I said, I went down a very, very uh, deep rabbit hole. At one point, I started getting stalked. That was fun. I had this guy who would wait outside um, for the production van to drop me off. I would have to have my driver sometimes walk me inside if I spotted him. Uh, and he was always there. It was like, and I don't know where he came from. I hadn't interacted with him. But he was there. And it is fucking hell that trans people live in. It is hell, I'm sure, on occasion for any woman. <laughs> because men view women as such a an object, right? Submit, submit, submit. You're a fucking whore. You're a bitch. You're a slut. You're a cunt. Whatever. If you don't abide by whatever they're asking for. Luckily, the stalker and the police, you know, I had to explain to them that I was this actor and like I went through this whole thing and I'm like, trans people don't get that. They don't get to explain away that they're an actor doing this. This is their truth. This is their life. There are no laws in the United States that protect gender identity. So what are they to do? They're not discriminated in the healthcare system. 
I mean, the Trump administration is trying to fucking erase trans people right now even further. They're trying to expand on the blatant discrimination that exists within the, the hate crimes bill. And this is in a country where we're supposed to be fucking created equal. There's no nothing equal in the United States. Who is cisgender? And that is just fact. So you can you can tell I'm I get very heated, <laughs> and I uh, have a very specific point of view. Sorry, that was a lot. <laughs> I just kind of vomited. Uh. <laughs> Thank God for therapy, right? <laughs> That's why I've just been crying along with you for the past, <laughs> the past while. And that's just some of it, you know? That's just some of it. But then in the same token, I have to tell you, TJ, there were moments where I was like, God, this is unbelievably liberating. To not have to hide my femininity. Yeah. To like actually... And that was the most beautiful gift she gave me. Crystal actually gave me my authentic self. Because by the time it was done, I was like, there's no way in hell that I'm going to apologize for expressing and being who I am. This woman did it inside a men's prison and did it till the day she died. I can fucking do it. You know? Like... So what else? What else do you want to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> Just to quickly go over that, or we'll go back to it. Did you talk to George and Andy, okay, Doc, about Crystal prior to filming to learn more about it? Um, so when we first started uh, production, um, we were in pre-production, we didn't know that George was alive. So we only had Doc to go off of and Doc's little brother, Doug, who was actually a very dear friend of Crystal's. They sang together um, and created music together. So I spoke to Doc um, and asked him questions about who she was, you know, what she, what she was into. And he was like, you know, she was obsessed with Bridget Bardot. She, this was the kind of music she loved. She loved Dolly Parton. She loved Madonna. She was very like fashionista. Um, she was always making clothes and dyeing clothes with food coloring and like whatever. So Doc gave me as much as he could, but you know, you have to know that Doc's relationship with Crystal was also very limited because they were kind of bitter enemies. Yeah. Doc, Doc hated her because she was a better Christian than he was. And he was this Catholic boy and she was quoting Bible better than him. She was like, <laughs> eviscerating him like in public on a daily basis and just was not having his toxic masculinity right she was like go fuck yourself um and so like i said we didn't know that george was alive we are going through pre-production and you know to get you know insurance you got to have the life rights and everything squared away and 
you know, we're, we're looking for a death certificate for George and we couldn't find one. So we had to hire a private investigator who ended up finding George. And that's an awkward conversation, right? Because now we're going to the man whose life we're telling his story about being this boxer who turns down his opportunity for freedom and Olympic gold to stay inside prison to protect his transgender cellmate, who is his lover. Yeah. You know, you can imagine that's a little bit of a, I don't know if this person is going to be okay with this. And he's married with five kids. Yeah. So by the time I actually got to ask him questions, we were so far along in the process that he actually couldn't be alone with me because Crystal, I reminded him so much of her. He was like, I don't know how he's doing that. He sounds like her. He's, he, he's walking like her. He said, well, but you know, the makeup, she was a little different with the makeup, but you know, it's her, it's her. And so the last time you saw them, they were, in a hospital bed, dying of AIDS. And now here they are on this movie set living and breathing again. And we had this interaction that we actually taped. And he said, uh, I freaked him out so much that he, he, was, he cried and cried. And he was like, I don't want to see her again because it's, it's too hard. They built walls, you know, for the, the death scene because George was there. They, the, crew, the cast built walls so that I could walk to set so George wouldn't have to see me sick because he was like, I can't see her sick again. He was her. No matter what you do, please don't make fun of her and don't embarrass her. So... That was about all I got out of George. <laughs> so I was like, oh, no pressure. Okay, great. You know? <laughs> so he's just trying to cut over me. So this is, like, perfectly the next part, which is for, for those that have yet to see it, as it's released on the 16th, which is two days away for... US listeners, oh, and tomorrow Australia. Oh, I'm not sure whether it's coming out in Australia is yet. I don't know whether you can elaborate on that. Uh, a lot of the distribution, um, you know, it's limited release right now, so it's just a slow rollout. New York, LA, and then there's going to be other cities, but if you go to heartbabythemovie.com, they'll have all up-to-date information on when and where and how, so that's the best advice I can give here, to be honest. And I'll, and I'll, share, yeah. that, I'll share that panel in a heartbeat. Thank you. For, for, for listeners that are, and, and this is going to come with a warning in the description, it's confronting, it's brutal for the LGBTQIA community to watch, myself included, as well as graphically violent and full of profanity because it's, one, is a true story. Secondly, this is the 80s and 90s that it was based in. It's, it's real, unfortunately that it deals with it in this way because it was surprising 
to me when I saw it last week. And having short to see the levels of violence. I mean, it's obviously a prison one, but I should mm-hmm. tell you as an actor, it's always glorified with prison, whether it be Orange is the New Black or whatnot. It's right. always a little glorified. You'd never see the dark, horrible side of the violence. And the film just jumped into it. Didn't try to gloss any of what prison is like, which I think is a credit to the crew. On, Thank you. On how... On how that was portrayed, and well, we had, we had to be we had to be convict approved. Andy was there, George were there, and they were like, "Nope, that's not how it was. It was like this." So it's like, <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, I'm I'll, glad that came yeah. through. Oh, I mean, I winced, I cringed, and I cried. <laughs> and I and as John said, I've got I've got no shame in the fact that quite a lot of things. It's and one of those things that I said to Sean before we started recording was I cried when. Crystal died because of how Sean portrays Crystal and connects to you, whether whether you're gay, bi, trans, or straight. It's if if you don't, it's a true story. So you've got to remember it actually happened. It's every part of it's true, and it doesn't shy away from the horrible truth of how homophobic and hateful people are. I mean, there's there's words on can't repeat and sadly as a bisexual male that's not totally out I've actually unfortunately experienced discrimination locally which although Australia is a little accepting I've still got called a name that I'm not going to repeat even on here because it's it brings back a horrible memory for me it would bring back memories for a lot of LGBTQIA listeners because it's, and, and the worst part is, I believe it was personal from an ex's brother of all people who knows that I'm bi, and it was directed specifically hatefully. And while I can't connect to how Sean dealt with hate, it's, it's very much still a thing which is really shit. That given the year we're in, that. Yeah. The LGBTQIA community still has to deal with all of this horrible, horrible shit. Whether it's Sean being stalked as a trans woman, or being hit on and objectified, it's it's not okay that this still happens. And I have people scream out to me that you know you say that, and I'm like, oh yeah, you're gonna burn in hell, f word, you know. We live in a world that is still so archaic. It's so archaic in its approach to anything that is outside of that perfect gender norm, right? It's so ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I mean, no, um, I mean, I've, I'm, I'm my voice is not 100% masculine, and I've been made fun of for that before. So it's, right. it's, and it's, it's pretty shit that. Unless you're a hundred percent masculine, then you can't. You don't fit the gender norm of what the world perceives to be male, which is really shit. Because mm-hmm. gender isn't a. It's on a spectrum. It's not. It's not a specific. How to put it? Not a not a specific 
set thing. It's it's fluid. It's not like it's it's not a cisgender male limit. <laughs> like you can't just fit it all into one category. It's not that. That's right. I mean, so right. you said as a cisgender gay man, it's that's not going to fit under straight white no. male perfect. It's it's not meant to, and it's it's really sucks that there's there's still this level of toxicity and I mean as an Australian I'm, ash- I'm ashamed it took us so long behind the rest of the world to legalise gay marriage we were at the front <laughs> discussing it for like three years and then they took it to a plebiscite because our politicians are too fucking scared and right. it's I mean I was watching like third world countries get it done quicker than us and I'm going what's our problem it's yeah we're supposed to be this, the lucky country, this welcoming country who just treats people like cheap. There's zero mental health support that the government actually cares about. And then it's just heartbreaking to see the amount of ridiculous loss of life that happens in the US, particularly with Orlando when that happened. Uh-huh. I cried so much because it was pointless that it even happened. Like, it's... And then now you've got a president who wants to erase transgender people. Like, how does anyone think that's okay? Like, what... And that's just the beginning, right? It's like... like I watch the news and go, how... <laughs> and this is not a shot at either side of whichever party you're with. It's... How does it justify in your head that it's okay to erase who someone else is? It's not affecting your life. It's not... You're never going to meet them, so why, why are you taking away a right that you have yourself? It's it's just mind blowing how. And I and I mean I can't speak for how people process this and justify it, but in my right. mind it's you can't justify taking away how someone lives because you don't agree with it. It's right. It's, you know, Crystal. Crystal's parents, they they tried to erase her. Well, they did erase her, literally, um, when she wouldn't conform to the gender norms that you're talking about. They sent her to conversion therapy, military school, reform school, trying to get the sin out of her, right? And she wouldn't bend to their wishes. And they because they had so much money, because they had so much power, they drummed up fake drug charges and got her sentenced to a 50-year-to-life term and literally destroyed the documents of her existence, gave her a fake name, put her into the Department of Corrections in Tennessee, and walked away. And it's like, when people with that much power can do that to their own child. How do we expect a politician who is attacking a community that's so marginalized, even within the LGBTQIA, like they are extraordinarily marginalized. They are discriminated against by their own community. So it's like the... (laughs) This 
using a group as a political tool, I will never understand. To rally and scare and terrify people into voting or whatever, it's it's just like, I hear you, brother, and I I am sorry for what you've experienced on your end and what we still have a long ways to go. And I hope that movies like this and uh, speak to people. And I can tell you, truthfully and honestly, we have had some very, very conservative, very Christian people watch this movie. They, for the first time, have an understanding of what a trans experience is. And we've had people say, Crystal doesn't belong in a men's bathroom. We've had people say, I get it. I understand. And Christians say, that really makes me think about how I, how I love. Because I'm not, I'm not exhibiting the love that I'm, I'm saying that I am. And so, you know what I mean? It's like we have to tell stories like this and we have to be outspoken like you are and talk to, the, to, to those who are different than us. And see how scared they are, too. I think that's part of the battle. Is that in order to have those moments of change and and where they're at, unfortunately. Because we're going, no, come meet us. You know? But really, we have to come meet them where they're at. And I think it takes interpreters <laughs> of, the, of the LGBTQI experience to go over because a lot of a lot of dudes, you know, who've seen the movie, army guys, navy guys are like, "Well, you don't seem like one of those gay people." Or whatever, you know, they'll say these like backhanded like compliments, if you can call them that. But the power of that is it gives them the space to start asking questions. And I really think we have to as a world, as a global community, start start being better about talking to each other you know and not getting our heels dug in so much even though they are as horrible and hateful as they are sometimes um we can't turn into them i really believe that we can't it doesn't get us anywhere just just for context for the people that believe to watch it is this one that i almost had to look away just given what happened was and I mean, I mean, there was instant karma. Sorry, it was, it sort of helped. And I'm oh, probably pretty bad for not remembering the name, but there was one of the other trans inmates that was brutally, brutally raped. Gabby. Gabby. And it was, it was hard to watch. Mason. I remember Mason. It's also, actually, what happened in those days and. Mm-hmm. As shit is that is, it also will hopefully put a spotlight on just how horribly treated trans people are. And mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, Shaw can speak to it a bit better than I can, given what he's been through. But hopefully, if this film does at least one thing, it shows, like you said, it shows Christian people, it shows general people in the community just. Uh the nightmare that trans people have had and still do go through. And I I strongly advise that 
everyone watch the film as as hard as it is and obviously both, both the description and the promotion across social media will come with a content warning given what this what we're discussing because it it's it's brutal it's it's horrific but it's also truth and unbelievably, unbelievably beautiful and yeah. filled with love at the same time that's the yeah. that's the crazy part yeah. Angela was able to direct something so violent and so shocking but it leaves you going god wow the power of love right yeah. and that is all that's love is a round room that's it there's no corners to hide in it's like boom crystal said it best yeah and that's it's sorry regardless of where you stand whether whether you're straight whether you're completely homophobic I mean, I can't vouch that we've actually got homophobic listeners, but hey, if someone hears it and is unintentionally homophobic or doesn't understand trans people, hates them, at least watch the movie and get a feeling of either how you come across to them mm-hmm. or what they go through. Because if, if the film can at least move one person to change how they're thinking, and as you said, you've had Christians talk to you and say, okay, I realise, you know, I'm not loving how I should be. And, like, as, right. as someone who grew up Christian myself, it's it took me four years to come out to my mother, and she took it a lot better. And I've got a better story than a lot of people in our community can probably say they have. I mean, right. I mean it's... There's, there's still that stigma, there's still that hate around our community, which is really sad that we're not past that already but if, if the film can at least help one person to see how how horrible they come across to people whether they intend to or not I think I think then the film is probably achieved its goal in not only telling a true story that is not greatly out there which is my next question <laughs> uh, but right I, th- I think if we can at least impact one person, then it's done its job. And For that's, sure. And that's, I think, a lot of... I, I'll gather that's probably Angela's wish and your own as producer. Yeah. Is, and, and that's a lot of my approach with a lot of things, whether it be this podcast or my photography or just how I interact with people on Twitter. It's If you can at least impact one person in your life, then at least you can look back on that and say, hey... I did something and I helped someone, regardless of what context that is. If if it can impact that one person, then it's already done its job. If it impacts more than one person, it's a bonus. And that, 100%. That, and, that, and that leads really well along to the next tip. But what was the reaction? And you sort of touched on George's reaction. What was the reaction from George and Andy that docked themselves upon seeing the finished film? Um, well, I know that when Angela sent the film to, to them, um, George, his wife, Rita, obviously watched the film, um, and she watched it many, many times. She said, she called Angela and she said, I have to tell you, thank you, because I didn't know what you were doing. I didn't know how you were going to approach this, but you, you showed me 
something about my husband that I, I never knew, and now I understand him. And I love him even more because of who he was. Doc, um, you know, Doc is, he's a, <laughs> for as violent and uh, all the things that had happened in his earlier life, he is a, a, a Buddha now, you know what I mean? He's a total, like, total hippie. And uh, he saw the film and that whole group who knew Crystal and who, who were there, they're really happy and they're really proud of what we did because, you know, they we told their story and uh, 300 people had witnessed what happened. And the fact that they can, they can get out uh, what they all went through. And most importantly, Crystal now <laughs> lives forever. She can't be erased. She can't be erased ever again because she she exists and she's in this film. And like going piggybacking off of what you said, my hope and desire is that it saves many trans lives and that it speaks to the core of us as humans and how we interact and oppress each other. And how we must, if we are going to survive as a species on this planet, we can only do it together. And there is no other choice. <laughs> you know, there really isn't. Um, but to get back on topic, yeah, they, they were very happy with what we did. And the real Doc and the real George are going to be here in New York City in a couple days um, promoting the film. Uh and that is really special. You know, when we when we actually had our world premiere at a Newport Beach Film Festival, Angela got George his a 1984 Olympic gold medal that he would have won. He would have won if he had gone. We know that. And we got to present it to him. We sang the national anthem. We did the whole thing. And to see that man and that million-dollar smile, you know, be like, that's it, man. That's it. <laughs> Being of service to your fellow human beings and, and making leaving it better than you found it. That's my motto. I gotta leave it better than I found it. So although it's partly covered, but not openly explaining the film. And I think this is something I chatted with Lisa a little bit, your publicist, about is it's really hard to find any information about the film or George online. The general thought I got from seeing the film was it is such a brutal and hateful story interwoven through the good parts, like the love story with Crystal and George, that maybe we haven't been in the right space in Hollywood to be able to tell this story in the way it's being told. And also, naturally, they're in prison as well, but it almost seems like, in, to use your words, that it was erased from public record that it actually happened. Right. Given... given what transpires in the film with the hate towards George when he said no to the Olympics. It's it seems almost like it has been deliberately erased and the, oh, only, for sure. and the only way it's been told is this film. For sure. I mean just think about like the boxing commission for the United States 
they to take on the Russians in the 84 Olympics, right? Let alone say we were offering freedom and a spot on the team to a guy who they quote unquote, you know, viewed as a homosexual. Um, you know, there's so many aspects of this film that were, were things were erased. I'm going to tell you something. When we, when we found Donnie Webb on the, uh, on the website for the Department of Corrections for Tennessee. That was Crystal's fake name that they assigned her. Um, literally a month later, the name was taken off. I see. see it, 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 it disappeared, you know, and you, you're going, and it was Crystal's birthday. It was like everything, like it was her. There was no social security. There was no nothing. It was, Uh, yeah, like a month later, it was erased. And I think this story, you know, um, hasn't had the right space until now. I think it's now is the time for stories like this. This is Trans Awareness Week, you know. The fact that we're releasing <laughs> during Trans Awareness Week, that's not a miss to me that Crystal, I really believe this upstairs, was like, no, this is the time, bitches. We're, we're going <laughs> to release it now, honey, you know. And then on the 20th is Day of Remembrance for trans people. And it's, I just think it's so beautiful that this can't be erased. And my hope and goal is that this film ends up in the hands of her family. And they have to deal with the fact of what they did to their daughter. Because her mom is still alive. And I... I'm about to drive to Nashville, knock on a door, and hand her a copy and be like, Crystal says hello. <laughs> you know? But, but uh, yeah. I mean, if it wasn't so traumatizing for you, I'd almost suggest that you go ask Crystal just to really drive it home. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean that, for, that, that it, it, for that, it would be worth it, I think. Although, you know, knowing that family, they probably have a lot of guns readily yeah, available that's true. Yeah. <laughs> to get, get rid of me. That's, a, that's the sad thing about America, too. That's a, that's a different podcast, different show. Yeah, do, we, we'll do another one on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, to to go, go a bit lighter for your other fans as well, uh, what can fans expect from True Detective Season 3? Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! Just to touch um, on a bit of a lot of topic. Yeah, there's a lot of confidentiality around this new season, but what I can't tell you. There, are you in it? The trailer? I am in the trailer. I, I am the guy. I you, but it's the only I'm in the one I've got is your headshot on IMDb and you as Crystal, <laughs> and that's all I've got to go off. Yeah, I uh, I was shocked that I had made the trailer, but uh, the character that I play plays a pretty important role um in the overall beginning arc of the story um it's a really cool season uh nick the show's creator went back to what made true detective so special um and simplified the story and brought it back to the south um and placed it in three different decades and mahershal ali spearheads the spearheads the the show he is remarkable in this. I mean, like, truly remarkable. Um, and Stephen Dorff is fantastic. A lot of people remember him from Blade. He was the vampire in Blade. 
you're like, where's Stephen Dorff been? Well, you're going to see. Um, but the show is a, the characters are so real and it's so, it's very dark. Like the first season was, um, but I, I, I really believe it's going to be the best one yet just because all of the original people from the crew came out to do it. Like, cause the script spoke to them. The story spoke to them. And, uh, that says a lot, you know what I mean? I think well, from a, from a perspective of someone who hasn't seen the show, I'm going to watch it, A, for you, and secondly, it just looks, in, it just looks in, intriguing. But also, I guess you could say, and this is not against theory, it's, they've seemed to have gone with an unknown cast this season compared to previous seasons where they brought in like Matthew McConaughey and others where they had like a big star cast where they seem to be bringing upcoming talent this season by the look of things. Mm-hmm. Well, with Rahershla, he won the Academy Award for Moonlight, so he brings, and he has Green Book, which is coming out, which is going to be another award contender this season. Um, so he's definitely, his star is on the rise, and he's becoming much more prominent. Um, but yeah, for the most part, a lot of the cast is people whose faces you may n- know, but they're just character actors. They're people who, you know, are just... Um, just really great actors who maybe don't have the household name that, you know, Matthew has or Woody Harrelson yeah. has. Um, but it's cool. The character I play, I show up in episode two and I'm telling you that one, how do I come to terms with this? And I can't tell much about it, but it is a a person within the world who which it's very difficult to find redeeming qualities for. I will say that. Um, and so that I had to go down the opposite direction, <laughs> right? And really, uh, yeah, we can talk about it another time once it premieres. And then you'll be like, what the fuck, Sean? What the fuck? I think all the sound things, we just need to bring you to Tassie just for a, a holiday, just to unwind and... <laughs> Seriously, I'll come I'll come anytime, please. I'm constantly in a state of, like, how do I just get back to my own sanity? Because <laughs> we've got lots of nature, so we'll just do, I'll do some nature walk through or something, just get you back into Sean mode after going through... Two, yeah. down two different rabbit holes what the sound of things but, you know when, when I finished when I finished Art Baby I went to Montana with my assistant at the time and I like totally went off the grid and like was in the mountains and just like talking to the sky and I was like what am I doing because I was like I just had to like come back to some yeah. resemblance of self right yeah. so I will take you up on that trip anytime <laughs> Thank you once again for giving up your time to chat with us, Sean. Hard Bay is limited release in cinemas on November 16, which for Aussies is tomorrow. However, it will likely, hopefully, come to Australia in the near future. Yes, yes. I've been your host, TJ, alongside Sean Colin Young, and I'll see you all in the next episode.